this is my story. Every story has a plot. The plot I will describe for you tonight will help you understand how I came to Nazarene Bible College 44 years ago. There are several players whose actions impact the storyline. I will be introducing you to these important players without whom my story would be incomplete. To set the stage, I need to rewind my story to how I got to Mid-America Nazarene College as a student. It was a summer after my freshman year at Olivet Nazarene University, and I had come home and was working at a Christian bookstore that summer. Now, the truth is, I had been invited to accompany a traveling quartet for Olivet that summer. Dr. Lambright, you see him on the left, he was traveling with that quartet, the ambassadors, they called them. But I knew I wouldn't be able to get along with him, so I said, nope. <laughs> One day that summer, I received a call from Reverend Bill Draper, the vice president of Mid-America Nazarene College. He was traveling that summer with a college quartet, and guess what? They didn't have an accompanist. <laughs> And, uh, and so he was looking for one, and he was on the St. Louis side of the Mississippi River uh, at some church, and, and he just blanket, put out a blanket request. If you know of somebody that, might, that I might contact, I would appreciate getting a name. So somebody that knew me at Webster Groves Church just gave him, gave him my name. And um, so he called me and asked me if I would be available the next day to meet with the quartet and audition for the position of accompaniment, accompanist. That happened, and days later, I received an invitation to come to the college in the fall. He promised financial aid. That always works. <laughs> and a stipend for accompanying the quartet the next year. So I accepted the offer. I mean, I had to find some way to pay for my education. And I transferred from Olivet then to Mid-America, where three years later I finished my undergraduate education. Mid-America was in its pioneer years. The president and faculty we're on a fresh adventure of establishing a new college for the Church of the Nazarene. Well, guess what? The same thing was happening in Colorado Springs. They were establishing a Bible college. Bill Draper was a key player in getting me to the institution where my story began. So I can't leave, leave him out. I will always be grateful for his invitation and for my decision. During my sophomore year, my father, Walter Attig, drove me back to school from a Christmas break. I love that picture. Our travel time included a significant conversation. I was confused about what my major should be. 
I knew I needed to make that decision soon, and he simply asked, well, what are the classes you enjoy the most? And I thought about that. And my answer focused on the speech classes that I had taken. That pivotal conversation led to my choice to major in speech communi communication. My major professor and academic advisor was a wise old woman. She had virtually finished her career in teaching. Some of you here are from Bethany and might remember her there. But accepted the invitation to join others in establishing this new institution. She was a pioneer with a mission. Gertrude Taylor was her name. I said she was a wise old woman. She was full of wisdom and discernment. She had a full head of gray hair. She was stately in her appearance and her manner. She was the kind that targeted preacher boys. She wanted to make sure they took those speech classes because she knew that they would need them to be successful. Now, she's my kind of person. A visit to Gertrude Taylor's office was always a session with the sage. No one could leave her office without taking a promise card from the dish she had on her desk. Do you guys know about promise cards? Did you ever... Did you ever, anybody here ever have a promise card? Oh, yeah. You couldn't leave her office without taking one of those. Um, I got this from my wife. She gives them away in her office. The scripture on this one is Joshua 1.9. Do not be afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. That's King James all the way. All right. Yeah. And um, so you took the card, but if you took the card, that meant you had to read it to her, both sides. Because one side had a scripture like that, and the other side might have had a quotation or a prayer or something really unique on the other side. Well, you had to read that to her. Then you had to stay long enough for her to interpret it for your life. <laughs> yeah, 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 so it's, you know... She had to tell you how, what meaning that had for your present or your future. Sometimes she would pray for us. We knew we had been in the presence of a saint of God. Sometime during my junior year, I began to think about my major. I knew speech was good for any profession, but what do you do with it as a major? My conclusion, you teach it. Well, because I didn't want to teach, I decided I'd better get started on a second major here. So I started taking business classes and got a major in business administration. I didn't want to teach. I really didn't want to teach. 
periodically during those three years at at Mid-America, it may probably two times, maybe three times, Gertrude Taylor looked at me in the eyes and said, Attig, she called everybody by their last name, I can see you teaching in one of our colleges. Well, I always considered that a compliment from her, but inside, I hated it. I didn't want to teach, period. One morning in the spring of my senior year, okay, I'm a couple of months from graduation. I received a phone call from the college president's secretary. That's what we called him back then. Enter Dr. Curtis Smith. I was headed to chapel, but yes, I'd be glad to meet with him in his office after chapel that day. Oh, then I began to think, would this be like uh, being called into the principal's office? <laughs> or am I in trouble? No, I knew I was in good graces with the president. Why does he want to see me? Chapel ended. I made my way to the administration building, still extremely curious. And I was ushered into Dr. Smith's office. I don't remember any cordial, normal greeting like, Hi, Ron, how you doing? How's your day going? Instead, he blurted out a question with his Midwestern rough-and-tumble voice. How'd you like to teach at the Bible college? Well, that took me by surprise. <laughs> Something inside of me tightened up again. I just couldn't get past my great dislike for teaching. Even the idea of it. I began to name the reasons why I would not be a good fit for that job. I didn't have enough education. Cha-cha-cha. After a few minutes of that, he looked at me and he said, Would you at least fill out the application? I consented to do it. I was sure that the Bible college would look at my application along with others and quickly pass it by. Not a problem. There were other players in the background of my story that I soon came to discover. Why was Dr. Smith, Dr. Curtis Smith, approaching me about this job? Well, his son, Dr. Barth Smith, was the academic dean at the new and growing Nazarene Bible College in Colorado Springs. In his search for somebody to teach, speech, he had called his father, and his father called Gertrude Taylor, head of the speech department, to see if she could provide any leads. After all, she had many former students from her long career, and these people had gone on and pursued teaching positions in the field, and she was the good person to ask. Her recommendation 
singular. Ron Adig, senior speech major at Mid-America. Remember those penetrating prophecies? I can see you teaching at one of our She told me later that she knew they wanted her to recommend teachers who, were all, who had already secured experience in education. But for some reason, I was the only name on her mind. She was a wise old woman. Discernment was her dominant spiritual gift. Well, I completed the application. I didn't have much to put on it. Didn't take long. To my surprise, within a short amount of time, I was asked to come to Colorado Springs to interview for the job. Really? Oh, no. I really don't want to teach. All of my short life, I had told the Lord... I want to know and do your will. I had not changed my mind, so I had to explore the open door. I set a date, and the preparation began. Back to Gertrude Taylor's office. I needed appointments with the sage more than I thought. She began to prep me for the interview. She knew some things about the Bible College and its mission, and she knew the training I'd received at Mid-America. When I say prep me, I mean she began to anticipate the kinds of questions they would ask and prepped me with the answers. If they ask you this, here's how you should respond. If they ask you this, I took copious notes. I felt so inadequate. And she seemed so confident. She was going to make sure I was ready for that interview. After all, I was her recommendation. And she didn't want me to mess it up. Well, I'm sure it was more than that. She had nothing to protect. Her reputation was solid. The day for my trip to Colorado Springs arrived. April something. I had a few things to take care of, but I stopped by Gertrude Taylor's office. I, I'm sure I needed that last prayer. <laughs> I told her I needed to pick up my cleaning and I needed to go get a haircut and my flight left at such and such a time and she paused that conversation to get my undivided attention and she looked directly into my eyes and she said Attig don't get your haircut you'll look too young <laughs> I know you thought that was going to be something profound <laughs> She didn't want me to mess it up. 
she knew that the students at Nazarene Bible College were not young whippersnappers. I mean, they were old enough to be my father. I say father because back then they were all men. She knew that I would need to appear more mature or at least older than I would with a fresh cut. I mean, I was only 21. So, guess what? I did not get the haircut. When the plane landed in Colorado Springs, guess who was waiting to take me home for the evening? Dr. L.S. Oliver. He was the president of NBC. So, what's so unusual about that? Well, he had known me from childhood. Before I came to be, he pastored my mother's church in Birmingham, Alabama. And when he was the district superintendent on the Illinois district, my dad served under him. My dad pastored a church there under his leadership. So we had some catching up to do. I had lost track of him, and I had escaped his notice for a long time, too. I know what some of you are thinking. You're saying to yourselves, I get it. It's all in who you know. You get the job if you know the right people. Nope, that's not the message behind my story. It's all about providence of God. He knew what he wanted with my life. And he had the right people in place to accomplish it. It had nothing to do, do with who I knew. Let's get back to the story. My interview appointments were really appointments with a woman named Audrey Williamson. She was the head of the speech and English departments here. I'd never heard of her. She and her husband, G.B., came to teach at NBC in 1968 when he retired from the general superintendency in the church. He's the man that you've heard of who debated for the formation of a Bible college. He delivered a powerful, persuasive appeal to a global denomination. The success of that motion set this place into existence 50 years ago. G.B. Williamson recognized the toll that her teaching was taking on his 74-year-old wife. She was teaching day and night, all the speech and all the English classes. So he told the dean, you have to get some help for my wife or I'm pulling her out altogether. Now, they were dollar-a-year faculty, so... I don't think that's an unusual demand. Back to the interviews. Audrey Williamson and I met in a conference room where she had plenty of table space to spread out the speech curriculum. She wanted to see how, she wanted me to see how each of the courses was designed. And she wanted to discern my reactions. 
to see if I could embrace those objectives. Our conversations were amazing. I was intrigued by the integration of the speech courses with the ministry mission of this place. I was intrigued as well with her passion and her lifetime of teaching experience. I was getting to know someone who would impact my life and shape my philosophy. I had no idea. I did not know that she was the decision maker in this process. Yes, ultimately the administrators would be recommending my appointment to the Board of General Superintendents, but they were depending fully on her impressions and her recommendations. They needed to hire someone who would develop a strong working relationship with her. Even at her age, she felt a fresh challenge to mentor. She told me later that she discovered from our conversations that I had the potential to learn the art of teaching and guide the curriculum forward with her assistance, so she gave her okay. Within a short time, the college gave me the official invitation to join the faculty that fall, 1973. But I didn't want to teach. But it was obvious God wanted me to. But I didn't want to teach. Oh. I discussed the struggle with my fiance and bands. Let's leave that up there for a while. <laughs> After all, whatever the future held for one, it held for the other. We faithfully prayed together about the matter. Finally, in a moment of complete surrender, I prayed, God, if teaching is what you want for me, you have to put the desire in my heart because I have none. Not a problem. I mean, that was no challenge for him. Throughout the past 44 years, I've heard hundreds of NBC students talk about their struggle to follow the will of God for their lives, especially when they wanted to run from it. We've got some of those people in this room. I've heard many stories of surrender. I've heard much about the providence of God. All of these have underscored my experience. So, God heard those words from my lips. He understood my struggle, but he knew that I had, he knew I had never changed my mind about knowing and doing his will. He provided courage, and he placed me in a fertile environment for learning and loving the art of teaching. 
I stepped into the most profound experience of my professional development. A mentoring relationship with a master teacher. Dozens of students during her career would have stood in line to have that opportunity with her. And I just fell into it. I have never escaped her powerful, shaping influence on my career. I have stood on the shoulders of a gifted teacher, a gifted model. Her approach was built on the model of the master teacher, Christ himself. Her reputation, her example, her wisdom, her spirit, and her passion have all been resources to me. And through these decades, they have fueled my commitment to teaching. When Ann and I arrived with our meager earthly possessions that summer, we stepped into the greatest adventure for Christ and the kingdom. Immediately, I was grafted into the founding faculty. They'd been serving here for six formative years. Observing their pioneer spirit stimulated my desire to become a part of something that could impact the ministry landscape of our great denomination. Someone has said, sometimes life takes us places we never expected to go. And in those places, God writes a story we never thought would be ours. That's my story. This is my song. All the way my Savior leads me. What have I to ask besides? How could I doubt his tender mercy? Who through life has been my guide? All the way my Savior leads me. Cheers each wandering path I tread. Gives me grace for every trial. Feeds me with the living bread. You lead me. You keep me from falling. You carry 
me close to your heart and surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the way my Savior leads me oh the fullness of his love oh the sureness of his promise in the triumph of his blood and when my spirit clothed immortal Wings its flight to realms of death. This my song through endless ages. Jesus led me all the way. You lead me. You keep me from falling. You carry me close to your heart and surely your goodness and mercy shall follow me. Shall follow Keep me from falling. You carry me close to your heart. And surely your goodness and mercy will follow me. Will follow. Savior leads me all the way my Savior leads me you get to that in a minute but um, thank you thank you so much Professor Attig there's hundreds hundreds of men and women he has trained and they have reached thousands And the lesson I hear tonight is 
when you listen to the Lord, good things happen. We all love you. Um, we have some special folks here tonight. Heath, would you bring your mom up here? And, and Heather, would you mind coming? Um, this family, uh, well, Heath and Heather grew up on this campus, right? They you did. Know, just, they did. Just hanging around. And, and we, we, we might even say that Professor and Ann Addy grew up on this campus. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> um, you know, they're both retiring this year. And we'll be honoring them uh, along with some other retirees uh, in a luncheon in April. Um, but we want to say thank you. We really do. And, and that we love you. Thank you. Thank you both. And maybe you would want to join me in thanking them tonight. Would you like to do that? I think it was just a couple of weeks ago that he taught his last campus, campus class, class of a very distinguished career. I leaned over to Dr. Lambright, who you messed around with a little bit tonight. <laughs> I persecuted him. <laughs> Sorry about that, buddy. I, I leaned over Don't to him me tonight and said, you know, we're sitting at the feet of a master teacher tonight. I mean that. I'm going to ask Dean Like, if he would, uh, to come and and pray, say a prayer, prayer over the uh, Attic family. Um, we all know the the battle that our brother here is is battling, and we all have been praying for him and lifting him up. Uh, but hasn't he taught us? He's taught us so much these last two or three years. I love you. Thank you. Let's pray. You speak so clearly through creation. You speak so clearly through your written word and the witness of your church and the witness of your spirit at, at work in our lives. But I believe that you speak most clearly to us through men and women who surrender and say yes to you and who do whatever it is that you want them to do for your sake, Father, for your glory, for the edification of the kingdom and to win the lost. And my brother in Christ, 
through the witness of his life, through the witness of Anne's life and through Heath and through Heather's lives. They were all helping us to see that it is always the best when we say yes to you. Always the best when we rest in your presence and guidance. All the best when by your grace we can say this my song through endless ages Jesus led me all the way. So we're grateful for the gift that you've given. We're grateful for the witness of your spirit. And so, Father, empower everyone in this room and every person that hears or watches this chapel service. Empower us to say yes to you one more time. To set aside the things that are in the way of our obedience. To be willing to step into futures that we can't define, we can't describe, except for the one assurance that you'll be there. And we thank you for making it possible. In the name of the one who is the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and now sits, sits at the right hand of the throne of God, making intercession for us. In the name of Jesus, our elder brother, and by his spirit at work in us, we pray. Amen. Amen.